Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to New Books in Politics. I'm your host, Jeff Bloodworth. Um, this week, we have an interview with Michael Grunwald. He has what I think is a really fantastic uh, book. It's called The New New Deal, The Hidden Story of Change in the Obama Era. Uh, Grunwald um, is a reporter for Time magazine, and he has used all his, you know, not only just reportage skills, um, but his contacts. I mean, this this is a book that's based on reams of interviews with White House officials, Joe Biden, Rahm Emanuel. They gave Grunwald some really um, top-level first-person access. And as a result, what we get is um, at least one reporter's view of what the stimulus package, if you remember back to 2009, uh, Obama's stimulus package, and, and, and what Grunwald claims is that this stimulus package, that $800 billion um, uh, bill that, that, that Obama passed in the first few months of his administration, really amounts to, it tells us what um, the president's agenda is, and really, according to the author, um, modernizes the New Deal for the 21st century. And um, what, what Grunwald does, I think, is kind of rescues the stimulus package and in, in, in at least telling us what the administration believed um, it was doing with um, this really extraordinarily large piece of legislation. Um, it, it's, it's a nice, breezy read. It's you know, ne- nevertheless, quite um, you know, even though it's a page turner, it's 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 a solid uh, piece of, uh, of of reporting. So it's really the best of both worlds. Um, I think we have a pretty interesting conversation with Michael Grunwald, and I hope you enjoy the interview. And it might even encourage you to go out and uh, pick up the book. Welcome Thanks. to New Books in Politics. Uh, today we have uh, Michael Grunwald. Grunwald, I'm sorry. The New New Deal, the hidden story of change in the Obama era. Well, Mike, uh, why don't you tell us, before we start talking about your book, why don't you tell us just a little bit about your, you know, your professional and personal background? Oh, sure. Uh, well, I'm, uh, I've been a, you know, in the dreaded mainstream media for 20 years. I, I was a reporter at the Boston Globe, and the Washington Post, and now I'm a senior national correspondent at Time Magazine. Um, and this is my second book. My first book was uh, was about Florida and the Everglades. It's called The Swamp. Um, and uh, while I was down in South Beach working on it, I met my now wife um, and tried dragging her back to D.C., but it didn't take. <laughs> so I now live in the public policy paradise of South Beach, and yet I'm <laughs> sitting here writing Washington books. That's interesting. I mean, does that give you, you think that you're a little bit outside the beltway? Does that give you a, a, a better perspective? Well, you know, for this book, I really think it did. Uh, you know, it's, it's a revisionist history of the stimulus. Um, essentially, just about everything that you think you know about the stimulus is wrong. Um, and 
And I don't think I could have written it if I still lived in Washington because the groupthink is just too intense. Um, they're just, you know, the, the herd mentality notion that the Obama stimulus was just this $800 billion joke. Um, it wasn't just conventional wisdom. It was, it was it, suggesting anything else, like trying to take the stimulus seriously. It was, it was like an admission that you didn't get it. Hmm. Um, that you kind of weren't in on the, on the, on the, the narrative. Um, and so, yeah, I stumbled into it because I write a lot about energy and the environment. Hmm. And, and I knew that the U.S. government had been spending a few billion dollars a year on clean energy and that the stimulus was pouring in 90 billion, which was leveraging another 100 billion dollars in private capital, hmm. um, when really renewable energy had been just about dead in the water. So that just seemed like a really big deal. Um, and as I started looking into this thing, it was clear that there was just this gigantic story hidden in plain sight. Yeah, what I like about you know your book, I mean, you you really are swimming against conventional wisdom. You know, everybody. I mean, you hear this everywhere. Washington's broken. Washington is broken. And I mean, your book, the New New Deal. I mean, you're saying. You know, no, no, no. I mean, Obama did in the stimulus package something huge and groundbreaking. Um, and you're, you know, you're, you're making a, it, it kind of sounds like you're saying Obama's establishing the groundwork for a new governing paradigm, kind of like the New Deal. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, you know, I think, I think Washington is horribly broken. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I do think that, uh, you know, that I think my book is in addition to, you know, Obviously, probably every author thinks that their story is a great story, um, but uh, you know, I think it is. It's a kind of a fun narrative, um, and then I think the stimulus itself is a really big deal. But I also think it's the, it's the best way to understand you know, the president, his policies, his approach to politics, um, and you know, his, his enemies certainly. Uh, you know, there's a lot of inside stuff about the Republicans, but also the you know the the insane city in which he's had to operate. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and it is, you know, I, it is a story about change in the Obama era. And, you know, one of, one of Obama's, when he campaigned, his big idea was sort of that you can't have, you know, fundamental change in the country until we kind of have fundamental change in the capital. Yeah. Um, and he, he, he proved that was wrong. <laughs> um, you know, it, it turned out that, uh, you know, he, he, I hear him still talking about how change, you know, change only comes from the outside. Uh, that's not true. He proved it. He, uh, you know, this is a book about, uh, you know, within his first month before most of his aides knew where the bathrooms were in the West Wing, mm -hmm. um, how he had helped prevent the depression and made this gigantic down payment on his campaign promises for energy and health care and education and the largest infrastructure investment since Eisenhower and the largest middle class tax cuts since Reagan and the largest one time research investments ever. And as you mentioned, um, some real changes to the way the government spends our money um, through not only the most transparent and accountable public spending ever, um, where you can just go online and see what's happening in your neighborhood and see mm -hmm. where every dollar is going. Um, but a real just tremendous effort to crack down on fraud and waste um, and the 
you know, the bottom line is that after when this thing passed, the experts said that five to seven percent of it would be lost to fraud. Mm-hmm. Um, and I interview Earl Devaney, who's this really hard-nosed investigator who was put in charge of watchdogging this thing. And so far, it's been 0.01% lost to fraud. And Devaney says he's just been flabbergasted. Says, you know, whether you're a Republican, a Democrat, a communist, (laughs) it doesn't matter. You've got to be, you've got to be just amazed by how clean this thing was. Um, and so I do think there are some new paradigms in the way, um, I, I write a lot about how instead of, instead of just, you know, the old way of handing out, for example, transportation dollars, um, are, you know, anybody who's done their traffic studies and has done their minority hiring studies and wants to build a road, they just sort of raise their hand and check the boxes and they get their money. There's yeah. this kind of entitlement mentality, and it's just spread all around the country like peanut butter. Um, <laughs> what the stimulus really started um, are these competitive programs um, to an extent that you've never seen in Washington where they're asking these shocking questions, really revolutionary does your project make any sense? <laughs> um, and uh, and you know what are the what are the environmental and economic benefits? And can you compete against other projects? And it's a really it's a bold thing for Washington because it requires bureaucrats to actually make subjective decisions <laughs> rather than just shovel paper. <laughs> um, and uh, and at least you know sometimes things go wrong and uh, and then you get you know, bad headlines when there's this kind of zero men, zero defect mentality in government. Um, but it yeah. certainly is, uh, there's a lot of good government reform that was sort of embedded in the stimulus, um, even though most Americans just think of it as a huge boondoggle. Yeah, I guess the dog that doesn't bark doesn't get a whole lot of headlines. You know, if you're, you That's can't right. really cover, That's oh, right. there, there is no, um, the planes that go, the planes that land safely, you know, they, yeah. you don't write about those. So tell me, if, I mean, this is the, the stimulus package is really, you tell it seems in two parts. First, how did it stop the economic freefall? I mean, that seems like it's stopping the economic freefall, and then the second part are investment and education and energy. So why don't you explain a little bit about, take us back to the, you know, fall of 2008 and the winter of 2009? Absolutely. I mean, people people forget because, you know, the financial earthquake had hit in the fall of 2008, but even when Obama took office, the economic tsunami was just starting to reach the shore. Um, so at the time, actually, we, the official GDP numbers for the fourth quarter of 2008 were negative 4%, <laughs> um, which are horrible. Um, but it actually, they later revised it. It turned out it was more like negative 9%, which is a depression, essentially. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, this was, we were in absolute free fall. Um, as people now know, when, when Obama took office, we were losing 800,000 jobs a month. Um, and it was really, at the time, quite uncontroversial, this notion of a stimulus. Um, every Republican and Democratic presidential candidate had supported uh, a, what's known as Keynesian stimulus. Mm-hmm. Um, Mitt Romney actually had the largest plan mm-hmm. <laughs> at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, in fact, House Republicans voted for a $715 billion stimulus that was not all that different from the $787 billion Obama stimulus hmm. that they ran around trashing as the death of American free enterprise and <laughs> Sharia socialism and all the rest. Um, at the time, it was really quite, and it's still in the economics profession, it's widely understood that when the private sector just shuts down the way it had at the end of 2008, um, that 
the public sector essentially needs to pick up the slack. Mm-hmm. Um, and otherwise, you get this death spiral where businesses are laying off their employees, so they're not spending any money, so more businesses are laying off their employees, and so on and so forth. And that's really the, uh, the nightmare that Obama inherited when he took office. The stimulus passed in February, um, and the next quarter actually had the biggest improvement in jobs numbers in 30 years. Hmm. Um, but of course, because it improved from absolutely terrifyingly hideous to just bad, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it wasn't like people were jumping up and down and celebrating, and we were still losing jobs, and that was, uh, that was pretty bad optics after passing a jobs bill to still be, still be losing jobs. But again, financial crises um, are really, they, they leave a real nasty recovery behind them. And, uh, and this was, you know, while helpful, you know, and you could see there have been all kinds of empirical and, and, uh, and macroeconomic studies that have found that the, the stimulus added about 2 to 4% to GDP, which is really the difference between contraction and growth, yeah. that it added about 2.5 to 3 million jobs. Um, which didn't fill an 8 million job hole, but is still pretty good. Um, and on the specifics, particularly at the beginning, you asked about, you know, the short-term recovery stuff um, was things like ha- giving almost $200 billion to states mm-hmm. who, who at the time were just laying off teachers and police officers and firefighters and other public employees in droves and were slashing their Medicaid benefits for the poor and disabled um, this allowed them to balance their budget so that they didn't have to raise taxes and cut services and, and slash their payrolls, um, which would have continued the debt spiral. Yeah. There were also these tax cuts that went to more than 95% of Americans, even though less than 10% of Americans noticed it. Hmm. Um, and that helped get money into people's wallets that they could then spend and, and circulate around the economy. And you also had aid to victims of the Great Recession, um, unemployment benefits and food stamps. Um, and just those direct transfers helped keep more than 7 million Americans from falling below the poverty line. And it helped make more than 32 million Americans who were poor, less poor. Um, so, they, uh, you know, this is the stuff that really started turning things around right away. Um, and allowed us to have this recovery, this kind of lame, unsatisfying, tepid recovery that we've been kind of stuck in for a few years. Um, but it is, it's, it's way better than the absolute nightmare scenario that we were free falling towards. Yeah, it, it seems that, you know, when I, I'm, the recession I, I remember most, I think we're about the same age, um, is the early 1980s, you know, we're t- you know, unemployment reached about 10%. And if memory serves, I mean, employment levels didn't really fully recover until the the mid-90s. I mean, where you get 5% unemployment. I mean, unemployment stayed uncomfortably high throughout the Reagan years. And then we had the George Bush double-dip recession. I mean, it, historically, I mean, it takes a good decade or so, doesn't it? To kind of well, and then and then what happened? What happened in 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 two thousand eight was made what happened in nineteen eighty one look like child's play because yeah. the really I mean when you look at the number I mean the the shock of two thousand eight was 
the measure, it was worse than the shock of 1929. Hmm. Um, now, of course, what happened in 1929 was they didn't really do anything about it for three years, yeah. and they allowed that death spiral to keep going, and that's how you end up with 25%, 25% unemployment. Yeah. But as I quote, I quote Larry Summers, uh, who was running around in 2008, in December 2008, predicting some of this stuff. He said, you know, FDR was lucky. He had three years of depression before he took over, hmm. so everybody knew, everybody knew it was Hoover's depression. Huh, um, Obama, Obama was kind of catching the falling spear, you know, and, yeah. uh, and it, you know, it's to his credit that he helped prevent that sort of awfulness. Um, but politically, it's been, it's been sort of awkward because that, you know, that tidal wave continued to wash over the country throughout the rest of 2009. Yeah. Well, okay, so you have the stimulus package. Part of it is it kind of it disrupts the economic free-for-all, the death spiral, as you call it. So, But you're also saying that, that Obama is establishing a new agenda. Okay, so Could you walk us through the sure. stimulus and the new agenda? Yeah, I mean, the, the stimulus is really – it's the purest distillation of what Obama meant by change. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, – you know, he had talked a lot during the campaign, and people didn't really pay that much attention to his agenda because they were interested in his race and his crazy pastor, right? And the hmm. ads comparing him to Paris Hilton, um, and then also he was you know, all that kind of fancy, nice talk about changing Washington and put setting aside childish things, um, and we all know that hasn't happened. Yeah. Um, but he did lay out this very specific agenda, which, in fairness, was not a really new agenda. Um, these were pretty familiar ideas. They were kind of standard Democratic ideas, and a lot of them were bipartisan ideas. But they involved, you know, a transition away from fossil fuels a, um, and our dependence on foreign oil, um, a reducing health care costs. Um, reforming education, and then this kind of then the kind of economy writ large, making it more competitive uh, and a fairer, fairer sort of more future-oriented 21st century economy. Mm-hmm. And he went ahead, and you know, it's sort of well, you're spending 800 billion dollars. Hey, why don't you spend some of it on the things that you ran to, you said you were going to do? Um, and you know, he saw the there's a famous Rahm Emanuel line about how you know it, it would be such a shame to to waste a crisis. Yeah. Um, and they didn't. Uh, you know, I mentioned clean energy. I mean, there it's just mind-boggling the investments, just unprecedented cash for wind, solar, and other renewables for energy efficiency in just about every form, which is really the kind of killer app of the of the energy world um, for. Advanced biofuels, the smart grid, cleaner coal, uh, electric vehicles, the factories to make all this green stuff in the United States, this new awesome clean energy research agency called ARPA-E hmm. that's modeled on DARPA, you know, the, the Pentagon agency that, uh, that invented the internet and, hmm. you know, the M16 rifle and GPS technology. Well, these guys are sort of inventing the clean energy technologies of the future. It's like, like the kind of place that Q from the James Bond movies would want to work. <laughs> yeah. um, so it's just, so it's just entirely trans- transformative. And you're seeing, you know, it's the reason that we've doubled wind power and increased solar power more than 600 percent. Um, you've created an entirely new battery battery industry for electric vehicles, hmm. um, just about from scratch. More than 30 factories when before we had one. 
Um, you know, and so the, the smart grid really has taken off um, in ways that you don't notice it when a tree branch falls and, in, in, uh, you know, takes down a wire in Cleveland, and this time it doesn't black out eight states <laughs> like the way it did a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but you know, these are real changes in the way we use and and generate our energy. At the same time, you know, $27 billion for health information technology, right? We've got online dating. We've got online banking. Why do we still have to fill out 30 pieces of paper every time we go to the doctor's office? Yeah. Like, why Why do two doctors have to be in the same room to look at the same file? You know, why can the nurse kill you with her chicken scratch handwriting, mm-hmm. you know, if the prescription gets filled out wrong? Um, these are all problems that have plagued medicine for you know, as long as we've had it and are going to be fixed by like 2016, 2017 because of the stimulus. We've already tripled our adoption of electronic records. And you've got in education, you've got race to the top, which is the the biggest advance, the most ambitious reform in probably 30, 40 years. Uh, you've got high-speed rail, which is just getting off the ground. You've got an expansion of broadband, which is uh, really it's like the modern equivalent of rural electrification, right, bringing, yeah. bringing high-speed Internet to underserved areas. You've got new ways of doing you know, you're expanding the unemployment system, which really hasn't been fixed since, since it was starting during the New Deal. There's homelessness prevention. There's this little program called Build America Bond that nobody even noticed that's financing $180 billion worth of local infrastructure projects. <laughs> it's like a stimulus tucked inside the stimulus. So there's just all this, you know, this is kind of the, you know, the Obama agenda, right, change we can believe in. And everybody, you know, now four years later, people are like, well, whatever happened to change? Actually, he did quite a lot of it in his first month. Huh. That, I mean, wow, that, 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 that's you know, I, I think of Sorry somebody. No, 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 not at all. I think of somebody who, who 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 follows politics. I mean, I write about it, I study it, and then I'm you know, and that's the great thing about reading your book. You're just like, oh, I remember that stimulus bill, and then you're reading, and you're like, oh, wow, that it's a heck of a lot more. Um, I don't know what the word is, groundbreaking than I than I than, than I ever imagined it would be. Now. Well, it's partly because of the the narrative at the time, right? Yeah. Because you had the right, the you know, you had Republicans who did this magnificent job of just making it sound like eight hundred billion dollars worth of turtle tunnels and mob museums, um, and then the Democrats were mostly whining about how it wasn't big enough or yeah. too many tax cuts, and the media, which has really kind of blown the story as badly as they blew the run up to the war in Iraq. <laughs> um, you know, they, they're not interested in public policy. They hear kind of like, he said, she said, and he says it's a mess, and she kind of says it's a mess, too. And then Obama was having trouble getting his message together, and before he, you know, before he really could figure things out in terms of the message, and then he was on to the next hideously unpopular auto bailout, and then the yeah. hideously unpopular health care reform Um while the Republican message of big government, big spending, big mess never really all, you know, they never changed that. Hmm. And, uh, and it just seemed to stick. And, you know, a year later, the percentage of Americans who believed that the stimulus created any jobs was lower than the percentage of Americans who believed Elvis was alive. <laughs> oh, now, one thing I did like about your book is, is, um, y- 
you kind of have a, a, you know, a sophisticated, I, I think I'd say, kind of view of Obama. And he comes off, um, you know, especially when people think about Bill Clinton. I remember at the convention, and all of a sudden reporters were, 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 were waxing about um, what happened to that, the, that centrist Democrat. You know, it seemed like they were always complaining about the fact that they didn't think Clinton believed in anything when he was in the White House. But then he's gone, and then, you know, that was the narrative. But but you very much make Obama into, it seems to me at least, a centrist liberal. Um, I mean, do you agree with that? I mean, or why yeah, don't you explain, where does uh, Clinton I think fit? He's progressive. He's certainly not a sort of New, new Deal paleo-liberal. Yeah. Um, he's, uh, he's certainly market-oriented. Yeah. Uh, and this, I always point out, I didn't call my book Another New Deal. <laughs> it's a new New Deal. It's different. You yeah. Know, it's, yeah, uh, yeah. It didn't create these giant, giant armies of government workers that, you know, alphabet agencies like the CCC and WPA didn't create, like, Social Security and deposit insurance and these other entitlements. It didn't really create big government, right? Because big we already got big government. FDR yeah. created that. Um, this is really about trying to make government work better. Hmm. Um, and sort of resp- he, Obama is a you know, he's kind of left of center, yeah. but pragmatic yeah. technocrat yeah. who doesn't really sacrifice the you know he's the good to try to pursue the perfect. Yeah, and really has has really kind of taken the world as he as as it is. And not how you know, and and improve it within his power rather than kind of tilting it windmills. I mean, he did he campaigned as this kind of change the system outsider, but he really has governed as a work the system insider um, because bills that don't get sixty votes in the U.S. Senate don't make change. And so I think there's this you know there's this notion like oh you know. Obama, you know, he he promised to do, you know, the the stimulus should have been bigger. Well, he didn't, you know, he didn't have the votes for that because yeah. there were three Republicans and more than half a dozen Democrats in the Senate who said absolutely not one dime more than $800 billion. So $800 billion it was. That was pretty good considering that a $50 billion stimulus bill had failed in the Senate in just a few months earlier. So I think... um you know, you saw one. What I one thing I always say is that if you paid really close attention to the stimulus debate, nothing that happened in the rest of the Obama presidency should surprise you, because he really did. He he focused on he played an inside game. He got the votes, and you saw the the same thing happen in healthcare, where he had no votes to spare. He uh, he didn't. You know, there was no public option that liberals wanted, but he didn't have enough votes for. Um, he had to make some kind of unsavory deals. The Cornhusker kickback and Louisiana purchase and, you know, other kind of things to buy off wavering senators um, that you certainly see stuff like that in the stimulus, too. Um, but ultimately, he did a very big, very unpopular, um, but very transformative achievement um, in healthcare. And what I tried to show in, in my book, even though nobody noticed at the time, was that the stimulus is just as transformative. Yeah. Um, so this is uh, this is what I'm kind of most interested in, and this is you know what you know it, it is in your book, but it you, you don't really you can't really uh, spell it out. I want to know about your sources. Who was most surprising to you? Who who was? Re- I mean, maybe you can't name names, but if you can, that'd be great. I mean, who who were, who were sure. surprising? No, I can name names. Yeah. And, and one of the great things about the book is that just about everybody's on the record. Yeah. Um, 
And uh, I thought, you know, I've said that I spoke to just about everybody in the Obama administration who had anything to do with the stimulus, except for Obama himself, Mm -hmm. who did not cooperate. But I spent a lot of time with Joe Biden, who is a trip. And (laughs) he and and Rahm Emanuel are definitely, they're the kind of, aside from being very important players in the story, they're also, they provide a lot of comic relief in the book. Mm. Um, You know, and... uh, and by, there's a great scene at the end where, where Biden's kind of giving me a hard time, and he's like kind of suggesting that I'm this big stimulus shill. And he's he's saying he's like, oh, you know, I took your I took your article to bed with me. I slept with them. And obviously, you know, I didn't get into journalism to write the kind of articles that Joe Biden would want to cuddle with. <laughs> um, but uh, but he did, you know, he he is correct that I did, uh, I, he, as he says, you're like, I was the only one writing anything nice about it. Hmm. But, um, but you know, he let me sit in on his cabinet meetings that he, he led, a tw- I think, 22 cabinet meetings just devoted to the stimulus, hmm. um, which was more than Obama led on all topics. Um, and it was really fascinating to watch him work. And in some ways, I think he was, you know, he was kind of, bo- he ran, he oversaw the stimulus and he was kind of born to, born to do that. While Rom, you know, Obama was sending a signal about how he planned to govern the day he, he hired Rom. Yeah. Right. You know, Rom is an insider. Um, you know, and you knew if Rom was doing this, it was going to be it was going to be a little ugly. It was going to be loud. It wasn't going to be suitable for young ears. Um, there are hilarious stories where he's cutting the deals to get this thing done, and he's screaming his head off, and he's calling the the blue dog Democrat Democrats mother bleepers, and he's calling uh, he's calling David Ovi, the House Appropriations Chairman. He's saying, you know, you know, this isn't your bill, you you bleep. This is the president's bill um, during a fight over race to the top. And he has this complete explosion with Arlen Specter when Arlen Specter is insisting, A, that the Recovery Act cannot be bigger than $800 billion, but B, that there has to be $10 billion for the National Institute of Health. Um, and, 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 and Ron just loses it. And he's going, how the bleep am I supposed to keep this bleeping thing under 800 bleeping billion dollars if I have to give every bleeping Senator 10? <laughs> but, but, uh, but, uh, all the stories are all, true then. Yeah, no, it's all, and it was, I got really, I'd love to sort of brag about, you know, what a brilliant investigative reporter I am. Yeah. But the fact is that this was really, you know, a lot of this was really hidden in plain view, and I'm very pleased that particularly Republicans opened up about their kind of plot to destroy Obama before he even took office. Yeah. That, I think, was maybe stuff that really, you know, that uh, that was took a little bit more digging. Um, but this notion that, the you know, the stimulus was vast and transformative, um, and the, the way it, uh, the way it became, you know, came into law, um, so unbelievably quickly during this economic emergency, um, you know, that wasn't that hard. You know, it was, uh, you know, I talked to everybody who was involved and it wasn't, aside from Obama, it wasn't hard getting them to talk. Um, the Republicans, the, the, the Republicans talking about their little conspiracies was a little harder. Um, but at the time they were kind of proud of it at the time because, you know, say what you will, um, it took some guts for them at a time when the president was at 70% in the polls and, 
everybody was, you know, there were just been a few million people on the mall saying, yes, we can. And everybody was saying that the Republicans were doomed if they didn't cooperate with him during an economic emergency. It took some guts for them to say, like, no, our path back to power is to say no. <laughs> you you use the term, you call them an entrepreneurial minority. Uh, do you want to, why don't you talk a little, just a little bit about, um, you know, the Republican strategy and what you, you know, the scoop that you got on the Republican um, kind of uh, decision, um, how they're going to deal with Obama. Sure. Well, I do. There are there are a couple of meetings that I just that I write about. With uh, you know, for example, um, you know, in December '08, you know, with "Yes, We Can" still ringing in everybody's ears. I write about a meeting that Eric Kanner has with his whip team, where basically he says, "We're going to fight this guy. We're not going to roll over." Um, you know, with our base doesn't want us to, and there's no point in just going along with them. Um, Mitch McConnell had a very similar meeting with his entire caucus. They were incredibly demoralized, um, and he basically said, you know, this is our moment. We have to stick together. We have to fight. Um, that uh, He tells the story about 1984, which everybody remembers as the morning in America, Reagan landslide. But what, what McConnell remembered is that, all the Democrats got reelected that year, too, because he was the only Republican challenger to beat an incumbent Democratic senator. And so his lesson was, hey, um, if we stick together and say no, um, and it turns out that Obama's a genius, and even though all the economists say this thing's going to take years, he turns it around right away, um, so everybody's fat and happy, we're going to get reelected because people get reelected when everybody's fat hmm. and happy. Yeah. But if this, if this economy doesn't turn right around... That's our path back to power. Um, and they, under, they understood that. Um, McConnell also understood that, you know, the, the, and Cantor too, that their, their most important task was to keep stuff partisan, um, because to deny Obama partisan victories. Because, you know, most of us, we don't, you know, I'm paid to pay attention to this stuff, but most people, like they, all they know about stuff that goes on in Washington, it's like either they've figured figured it out. They've, you know, they've got something bipartisan, reasonable, where they've agreed, or else it's just the same old partisan bickering. Um, and so they recognized from the beginning that they had to keep it the same old partisan bickering. After the vote on the stimulus, where Obama had just gotten this huge victory for his agenda, um, and really starting to transform the country and, you know, the way he had laid out that he was going to do it during the campaign, um, incredible substantive defeat for the Republicans. They had this retreat in Virginia, um, where, which was like a raucous celebration because they had all stuck together and voted no. Hmm. And John Boehner played a tape of the uh, from C-SPAN of the vote and got a standing ovation. And Cantor got up and said, you know, we're going to have more votes just like this one. And Mike Pence actually played a clip from the movie Patton where he's screaming, we're going to run through the enemy like crap through a goose. And, of course, Patton was talking about the Nazis, and Pence was talking about Obama and the Democrats. Um, but what they understood was that by sticking together um, and – you know, even when, even though everybody had been for stimulus just a few weeks before, hmm. and even though Obamacare is really not that different from Romney Care, yeah. and even though Obama's cap and trade plan was the same cap and trade plan that John McCain and Sarah Palin had pushed in 2008, hmm. um, you know, by by making by standing together on the other side of that, they could really change the political dynamics in a hurry um, at a time when. 
jobs were disappearing and people were unhappy. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and, and they captured the at least the um, the speakership uh, the next year. Um, That's right. So let me ask you this: um, If you look at the current polls, I mean, it seems that Obama is doing quite well. Romney is right. his campaign is listing. Do you think the stimulus has anything to do with this? Do you think America, um, Americans are kind of implicitly sort of kind of realize that the stimulus made things from getting worse? I mean, is there a connection or, or not? Well, well, I would say a couple of things. I mean, the first thing is that politically, certainly, although, you know, now Obama has started bragging about the auto bailout, which was once incredibly toxic. Yeah. Um, but now, you know, you hear the, uh, right, the famous, GM is alive and Osama bin Laden is dead, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and he's even started to say, you know, talk about Obamacare, right? He mm-hmm. says Obamacare. That's right. You know, he's starting to embrace that term, which used to be just a pure epithet. Um, he still won't say the S word. <laughs> You'll never hear him talk about the yeah. stimulus. Yeah. But he is talking about some of the things the stimulus did, right? The, uh, you know, you'll hear him talk about race to the top. Or the fact that he cut taxes for 95% of the country, um, or, uh, you know, or part the fact that renewable energy has doubled in this country and, which is entirely because of the stimulus, um, where, um, on the day after the stimulus passed, the, the Spanish wind company called Avangoa, which had shut down all its U.S. projects, announced that it was investing $6 billion in the, in, in the hmm. U.S. wind projects. I mean, it was really, hmm. it was night and day. Um, but, uh, you know, he, so he isn't saying like, hey, the stimulus did that, but um, he is talking about its achievements. Um, the larger effect, I think, that the stimulus had um, was, it, uh, and, and the concept of stimulus, because Obama not only got the $800 billion in stimulus, um, he then followed it up with another about $700 billion in 2009 and 2010 um, that didn't get a lot of attention because he wasn't running around the country saying, I want another stimulus. Um, instead, he was doing it sort of quietly. There was a bill to save teachers' jobs and bill to extend unemployment benefits and even bills to cut small business taxes um, that Republicans opposed en masse, even though these were classic Republican ideas. Um, but so we did get an awful lot of stimulus, and that kept the unemployment rate from skyrocketing the way you saw in some places abroad. Yeah. And then after Republicans took over and started pushing austerity, he pushed the American Jobs Act instead, which was another essentially a second stimulus, though we didn't call it that. Now, it didn't pass, but the Republicans' austerity didn't pass either. So instead of places like Great Britain and Spain, which did enact austerity regimes um, that led to double-dip recession, yeah. um, the U.S. has just kind of kept puttering along on their unacceptable but not, you know, disastrous path. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and you're seeing, uh, I don't know, you've seen the last few days some economic indicators are pointing maybe to some good signs. Um, right. Before but we certainly have Certainly our- the idea, certainly you hear like when, when – uh, you know, when the Republicans say, are you better off than you were four years ago, right? That's, that's an input that reminds, first of all, it reminds people where they were four years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and how bad things were, um, you know, it's, which is a sort of implicit, in the, the fact that people are realizing, hey, you know, I actually am better off than I was four years ago, because four years ago, the economy was, had just fallen off a cliff. 
um, that's a sort of implicit um, endorsement or at least acknowledgement of what the, the stimulus has achieved. Probably Romney would be better off instead of asking, are you better off than you were four years ago? Just sort of, how you doing? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, maybe the Romney people will listen to this <laughs> so, b- b- and take your advice. Um, that's actually not a bad idea. Um, before we have the, our, our, our typical, this is always our last question. I just want to like, this is, you know, the new, new deal. I, I mean, I really do. I think this is sort of, I don't know, I don't know if the term is long form jur- journalism, but I mean, this is, it's a gripping read. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I couldn't put it down. And, um, oh, so, thanks. yeah. Um, and I would urge our listeners to go out and pick up a copy. Um, but our typical, uh, our last question is, what, what are you working on next? Do you have another, are you just doing sort of day-to-day journalism or you have another book or? I'm, I'm reintroducing myself to my family. <laughs> Understood. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm covering the, I'm covering the campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been, and it's been, but it's, it's been fun because, you know, I've gotten to essentially write about all the issues in, in the book all over again, because although, you know, part of the Romney campaign really has made this about stimulus. So, so I've, you know, it's been practically a full-time job fact-checking every time they tell these doozies about how, you know, the stimulus is outsourcing wind turbines to China when in fact it's been insourcing wind turbines or how, you know, Solyndra was a, you know, crony capitalist deal mm-hmm. when in fact it was first approved by the Bush administration and, don't get me started about all the different ways it's not a scandal. Um, but so I've been able to write a lot about that. And then even on the Obama side, this has become somewhat, you know, this ultimately this, this election is sort of about um, the future role of government. Mm-hmm. Um, and Romney has made the stimulus into kind of exhibit A for the idea that government doesn't work. And I think what my book does um, although it doesn't, I don't make any sort of big claims about how big government is good or, you know, big government always works. But really the stimulus is, is exhibit A for the idea that government can work and that it can produce positive change. And ultimately this is a book about change. Hmm. Well, it's the new, new deal. Mike Grunwald, thank you for, um, you know, giving us some of your time uh, in between what promoting your book and covering the campaign. Uh, I guess you're going to have a pretty uh, busy next, what, about, what, 40 days till the election? <laughs> I think it's, what, 38 and counting? 38. Right? Is there early, early voting in Florida? Uh, yeah, it hasn't started yet. But, okay, uh... so, yeah, the election's already begun in certain places. Well, thanks, uh, sure. Mike. And uh, you can... It's been a pleasure. I really appreciate your, uh, your interest and your kind words. Okay, well, thanks. Have a good day. You too. Take okay, care. Okay, bye. I hope you enjoyed um, our interview with um, Michael Grunwald and um, maybe piqued your interest in picking up a copy of his book, The New New Deal. Please, um, you know, uh, add us to your list of favorites, new books in politics. We're going to try to have a podcast or an interview with an author about once a week. So I look forward to um, having you on the other end of this conversation uh, quite soon. Bye. Bye.